0: Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Learning of behaviours in animals is something truly fascinating. Today we learn about orcas, parrots and even zebrafish. Now orcas actually scattered all the way across the world and have diverse cultures just like humans do. We find out more about them and what sets them apart, plus we learn about trying to teach Old Parrot's New Tricks in New Zealand, and Zebrafish's Changing Personalities. Across our planet, there are multitudes of countries, nations and cultures, each of them with their own rich history, unique appearances, dress, way of acting, way of interacting, communication, language, beliefs, practices, and so on. That's what makes up culture. And we reasonably understand human culture in as much that it's something that we know develops, evolves and adapts. But do animals have culture? And I'm not just talking about bacteria cultures here, like the, which the name, which is the name we give to communities and groups of bacteria. No, I'm talking about actual cultures, different ways of behaviour dependent on regions among the same species. And a large team of international researchers have recently got to the bottom of this question for Orcas or more commonly known as killer whales. And there's also an interesting interplay here, because it's not just about the behaviours that are different from each place, but more about how these behaviours then lead to the development of new subspecies, or genetic change in the genome. And this research has really been brought about by a large-scale study of the genome, of various of species of orca from across the world, and understanding how that also relates to behaviour. Now, killer whales, Orcanus orca, are the largest species in the dolphinate family, the delphinae, which is their scientific name. And they're actually found all over the world in ocean basins distributed from the Antarctic all the way down to the Arctic. And as a top marine predator, they consume a lot of different types of prey species, everything from birds, fish, mammals and reptiles and what has been found is that the in different locations these types of killer whales these orcas have evolved into special ecotypes which have distinct hunting strategies which are adapted to exploit really really specific ecological niches adapted to those environments what that means is scattered across the world different orcas have sort of really defined themselves as a, a really distinct way to make best advantage of their local conditions. They've adapted to their environment in really, really interesting and unique ways compared to all of the other orcas across the world. And so then the question then arises, once this adaption starts taking place, what in these ecotypes, these groups, what then happens to the species as a whole? Is there any genetic diversity as a result of that? And with humans, we understand this very well. For example, the Inuit population of Greenland descended from a small founder population that split away from the East Asian source population and successfully colonized the extreme climates of the Arctic. And they did that through cultural transmitted methods of hunting marine animals, right? So they learned how to behaviorally adapt to the type of environment they were living in is what we call through the types of clothing the types of methods they use and so on so that's called a cultural transmission method as well as genetic adaption to the cold climate on a much longer time scale through a hypoglycemic lipid rich diet that they have so a lot of the time adaption to in a specific environment is a combination of genetic and cultural factors to really study that we need to really map out the genome and understand the diversion points and what's going on across the whole species dig in the details on this the scientists took the genomes of 50 orcas from a variety of locations across the the world's oceans including two in the pacific ocean and three in the antarctic and they then sequenced these genomes of these 50 orcas and found that they the genomes sort of fill into five different niches with different variations sort of clustered into five key cluster groups not major variation just minor ones but they could be sort of grouped into these different five clusters but when they examined as well The behaviours, they also noted that they really also fell into five distinct behavioural groups as well. So the genome slight variation they were seeing lined up with the behavioural differences they were also seeing. So even though these orcas shared a common ancestor over 200,000 years ago, or 4,800 or so generations, the individual cultural groups have started to become genetically distinct. And effectively, the orca genomes and these orca cultures have co-evolved so this research shows that by looking at the genomes we can quite clearly see that each of these different subgroups or cultures began with a small founding population much in the same ways human colonization in new areas does as well perhaps a few tens or hundreds of individuals they invaded a new niche and then once they knew how to master it rapidly expanded and these traits were then passed on both the behavioral traits and the genetic ones so when a new juvenile is brought in. It learns the social behaviours from its adults in the pack and it helps solidify the group identity and gradually reinforces both the genetic and behavioural key adaptions and niches. Now, what are these cultural differences? For example, uh, some of them have different hunting techniques, which is the quite common cultural difference between these different groups that they were sort of studying. And depending on the prey that they have, the orcas undertook really, really different strategies. So an area that had large shoals of fish around, what the orcas do is actually in their packs, as they are a pack creature, they start to herd the fish into groups that they can then go and sort of round up, much in the same way that you might with, you know, sheepdogs, imagining sheepdogs with sheep. They herd the fish and then they can attack them. Some orcas target other mammals, such as seals, by deliberately stranding themselves onto the ice where the seals live and attacking them from there as they sort of get closer and closer to it as this weird, strange beached thing. And there's a whole other variety of different sort of adaptions of behaviour that the orcas have undertaken. Some orcas actually have developed a culture of really, really intricate hunting styles where they lure dolphins into a complicated series of traps and then sort of ambush them in a big ambush situation. So you have one or two orcas chasing a pot of dolphins into a location but that location ends up being an ambush that has been laid by the rest of the orca pack and there's very very interesting and complex behaviors and that also relates to the types of communication that these orcas use to each other so much so that seals in these environments can actually detect the differences in the culture group between the orcas that herd and eat the fish and those that sort of try and attack the seals so the cultures are distinct enough for other animals to also be able to recognize them still amongst the same species So this is yet another example of the amazing intelligence and diversity of the orcas. And they are very human-like, including their intelligence, longevity, and social natures, which gives us a really interesting insight into the behaviours and understandings of both the animal kingdom, orcas specifically, and also ourselves. (laughs) Now that goes the saying that you can't teach an old dog new tricks, and there's always examples and things to break the stereotypes, and it's just a, it's an old folk saying. But researchers from Victoria University in Wellington, New Zealand, have been studying the kaka parrots, which are a small type of forest-dwelling parrot, which is similar to the kea mountain parrots, which are very, very famous in New Zealand. And they studied them by looking at the behaviours of the juvenile birds, as well as the older birds, to see if there's any behavioural differences particularly because these birds are under different types of threats. As the planet changes, the climate changes, global warms, temperatures increase, and forest areas begin to decrease, leads to all kinds of changes in populations. And those that are more resilient to that change are more likely to survive. So this trio of researchers, Julia Zeppolet, Rachel Shaw, and Kevin Burns from the Victoria University, have been studying these birds in the North Island of New Zealand to see how resilient they are and how they can adapt. And they found some interesting findings. They approached these communities of birds and set about different types of experiments to gauge their adaptability levels. The first test consisted of placing a block of wood under a tree at a feeding station, which barred the birds from accessing the feeding station until they figured out how to move that block. Simple problem-solving challenge. What the researchers found is that none of the birds over three years of age were able to solve that problem, to move that block and get access to the food, whereas approximately 40% of those under three years of age, so juveniles, were able to do so. The second experiment involved removing the the feeding plate that normally served to raise the fetal lid up when the bird stood on it. So now, the bird, to actually get at the food, had to figure out that they needed to move around to the side and flip the lid manually rather than relying on a lifting-rising mechanism. And about half of the juvenile birds managed to figure out how to do so. Whilst out of the full sample population tested, only one of the adults managed to do it. So still not a good success rate here for the old birds. In the third experiment, the researchers attached a single cashew nut to a single length of string, which they then tied to tree branches. To get the nuts, the birds had to actually reel them in using the string. <laughs> All of the younger birds, totally fine at that. Obviously, they'd spend a lot of their youths with the yo-yos. It's probably the craze at primary school. But that reference probably dates me to being a 90s child very much. And only half of the adults actually managed to do that. So what this research suggests... From Victoria University, is that the younger kaka birds are able to adapt more easily to changes in their environments. The older birds, more set in their ways, are not so good at making those changes to their behavior and solving those problems. Bird intelligence is widely documented, crows and other types of birds are very famously smart and adaptive. But for these kakar birds, the younger ones are the ones to watch out for, because they are the craftier and clever ones. So whilst you can't teach an old dog New tricks necessarily, you definitely will have difficulty teaching an old kaka bird in New Zealand new tricks. So we've learned about orca populations and how they can culturally adapt to new settings. But what of breeding programs? And breeding programs are a hugely important part of domestication of animals, farming and livestock. And we've been doing this thousands of years, ever since we domesticated the dog, the cat, the chicken, the cow, you name it, we've domesticated it. And as a result, changed its behaviour, its appearance and even its, its species as well. But for fish, what do you think changes in fish? And by studying behavioural change breeding problems in fish, some researchers at North Carolina State University have managed to adjust the personalities of the fish and, subsequently as a result, some of the physical characteristics as well. So zebrafish are like a geneticist or zoologist or biologist really, favourite thing. Very fast breeding cycle. Very easy to map genome and very, very useful for conducting science. If you want to study breeding life cycles, Drosophila f- uh, fruit flies and zebrafish are pretty much the two things you generally turn to. So we're always researching them. However, some researchers at North Carolina State University bred different spe- parts of these fish population in their lab, some to be bolder, and others to be more shy. And the way they do this is they basically reward uh, the ones that are exhibiting bold tendencies and behavior and those that are exhibiting shy tendencies and behavior and sort of trying to specifically breed a certain type of behavior. So, so how do you qualify that? Well, bold fish they classified as ones that had a really short amount of time where they remained motionless, motionless when placed in new surroundings. And the, the shyer fish were obviously a bit more careful And they call these complex behaviours with words descriptors like personality or temperament. And the understanding would be that these would probably be genetically correlated. And in general, we would think that logically, things like body shape, swimming ability, they would all be separate genetic traits that should be completely unrelated to these other type of temperamental ones. So they created these two lines, these shy fish or these bold fish, the ones that really fidgeted and adapted quickly to the new environments, the other ones that were more cautious. And with these two populations in hand, they then studied the genome and let the con- generations continue and continue and continue onwards and saw how they adapted to new stimuli, such as stress or changes in their environment. And what they noted is that the bold fish lines, this, this group community that they'd sort of made to be selected to be more bold, also displayed a more elongated body shape with a larger tail region. And they generally had a higher of a lot swimming velocity, and acceleration, particularly during fast start and startle-type responses. The shy fish, by contrast, had less sleek bodies and had a slower startle response. And this is really interesting because generally we think that these types of behavioral-type changes in genes shouldn't be at all related to um, one or more phenotypes, particularly ones in an unrelated area like shape. But what it means that these traits may be linked in a way that they didn't quite originally understand and shows that just how complex genetic variation is and how just by trying to select and control for one thing doesn't mean that you'll necessarily get an isolated and desired response. So genetics is a very complicated and interesting place and it can lead to adaptions in a variety of unexpected and interesting ways. This has been the Young Scientist of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Pointe. This week we've learnt about the different cultures of orcas scattered across the world, growing further apart, and the unusual tales of zebrafish adaption and behaviours. Plus, teaching new parrots new tricks. Our ending theme was composed by audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the young scientists of Australia.